Uh, welcome to Ungroomed Media. Today, uh, today our guest is Andrew McGrath. I'm Dev Battery host. Andrew McGrath is a football player for uh, the Essendon Football Club, number one draft pick, rising star. Pretty impressive resume. Um, so today, also one of my friends from school back in the day, Brighton Grammar. So uh, it's good to have, we're just going to have him on today and discuss some of the things he has faced, mental health wise, uh, being a member of the AFL and um, the pressures that have come alongside being a number one pick. Awesome. Thanks for having me, David. Yeah. Glad to be on. Um, and I guess talk about something that's pretty important to, to every man and um, it's pretty prevalent within the AFL right now. Although, like, it, it's different for everyone. It's, um, it, it's there yeah. and it's great to talk about. Yeah, well, how about we start from the start? Like, uh, so you were born in Canada, spent, I think, the first five years of your life there, then moved to Australia, always been very athletic. Um, when was, like, the first time that you started to experience any sort of mental health issues or start to notice it within your surrounding environment? Uh, early on, like, I probably didn't really know what, what looking after mental health was or, like, what, what that was at all. Um, I was kind of a happy-go-lucky kid. I had a great upbringing. Um, and in terms of sport, like, I just loved playing sport. There was never any pressure, um, I guess, until, until I got drafted and, and played in the AFL. But um, growing up playing football, playing all the sports, like, you'd know at school we do everything and probably didn't experience anything through that time. Um, but I guess once you get to the AFL system, you, you realise that, that everything you do is sort of highlighted and under a, a bit of a microscope. And um, the pressure of that can be challenging at times. Um, I wouldn't say I've had too many strains in that area, but I've definitely noticed periods where my mood's affected by, by the pressures of playing, by performance, by this, that and the other, but um, probably didn't really start. Um, I didn't start noticing or, or, I guess, taking care of my mental health until I got to the AFL system. What about the year before you got drafted? Because I know for a lot of people, prospective like players as well, that plays a big role in their mental health. Mm-hmm. You know, when you've got the spotlight, you've got mock drafts coming out like every week after week. Everyone, like all your mates, are kind of egging you on to, you know, asking you what's going on. You're meeting with teams. Was there any pressure at that time at all? Uh, yeah, yeah, there's a little bit. Yeah, um, I guess through year twelve, obviously that's the the pinnacle of your junior footy. And yeah, every time you play, you know, there's people watching you. Then yeah. there's people. Kicking, crossing, doing whatever they need to do um, to figure out if you can play footy or not. So yeah. that was always there. And I think um, before I sort of learned how to cope with certain pressures of, of playing, I, I did it quite naturally, which I didn't really understand until I kind of learned more about it. Um, I was able to sort of park, not the fear and anxiety, but park those, those emotions before I go out to play. I think um, if you let them sort of get in your way, it can be really hard to, to perform on the, on the biggest stage. And, um, so it was interesting when, when I did start reading and, and going into it a little bit and discovering how you can kind of overcome those things that I was already doing some of it naturally, and I think that's what helped me through year 12. Um, but having said that, that there, there was challenges and there's doubts, there's uncertainty, and, and that causes stress. Did the, um, the prospect of making it to the AFL, like when, when was the first time you actually kind of sat back and realised that, all right, this is actually the path that I'm going down, like I'm going to get drafted into the AFL? Like, uh, oh, There's probably a couple key like moments where I thought, I guess key things in my head where I'm like, this, this could actually happen. The first one was probably in the 16s. I played under 16 Vic Metro, and it's probably the first time that um, I thought I was one of the better players in Victoria. I'm like, no, I'm actually not too bad here. Like, yeah. I could make something of this. Um, at that time, like, I was hoping that I'd get drafted. and like, maybe it might happen, maybe not. Um, I missed out on, like, the All-Australian squad, which was pretty shattering for me at the time. Yeah. Um, looking back on it, it's probably the best thing for me that I missed out, like, kept me 
driving forward, but I probably didn't realize that I was going to definitely get drafted until like halfway through year 12, to be completely honest. Um, yeah. And I think for my development and for my mindset, that was awesome. Like, yeah, I would felt like I was always fighting to prove people wrong and always striving to, to be better. And I think that's the most important part of playing an elite sport. Like you can never settle and um, sit back and enjoy your work. You just always have to keep evolving. But I think that also helped. Like I was never really thinking of expectations. I didn't really come into my top age year, year 12, um, touted as a top pick. So yeah. I didn't have that added pressure. I was kind of just sort of just moving my way up as the year progressed. Yeah. And, and that was a humbling and exciting feeling for me rather than a stressful one. Yeah. And then I guess at that time it became prevalent that you weren't like not just going to make the AFL, like you're going to be the number one pick. So the pressure like, you know, surrounding that and then when that, uh, when that really started to solidify, like when, you know, the media outlets were reporting on you as number one pick, when you were getting attention from like, um, you know, news channels, et cetera, how did that change your kind of outlook on, mm-hmm. on, on the game? Like, uh, yeah, it was, it was weird. Like, yeah, it was, it's something you dream of as a kid, and for it all to start happening, like, yeah, it's pretty surreal. Um, I probably didn't really know what to think. I was kind of in this like roller coaster of emotion of excitement of wow, like this is actually happening. What's it going to be like? Um, am I going to have to move states? Like all these like emotions are running through your head. Meanwhile, you're trying to study for uh, year twelve exams. So there's a lot going on. Yeah, um, I think that's one of the big differences between AFL and other professional mm-hmm. sports, right? Like um. In America, you've got the NFL and the NBA, and even with the NBA, like you go to college for a year mm-hmm. and then you get drafted with the NFL, it's three years. Yep. You know, um, AFL is one of the few sports where you go directly straight out of high school, you know, where like this is year 12, your first, like your grades matter very severely to determine your future, and it's also the year before you go into the AFL. So, yeah, it's very different. Yeah. Um, and I guess I'm five years out now, so. I guess when I got drafted, I was still a baby and have learned so, so much in so many areas from then. And um, <laughs> sometimes look back and wonder how the, how the heck I sort of managed myself through that period because um, even looking back now, like, think about it, I'm like, I don't know how I did that. I was 18 then, I'm 22 now. Um, even now, like, it'd be challenging. So yeah, it's, it's funny looking back and reflecting. Um, yeah, very hard to expect uh, an 18-year-old, 19-year-old to be able to block out the surrounding noise and just focus on the game. I mean, uh, I think that's what veterans would probably mm-hmm. advise you to do. Um, yeah. And I think that's what you said, you mentioned you were doing in year 12. Like, it was just about the game. Like, mm-hmm. And that really helped you in a sense. But um, when did it ha- like, how long did it take you to kind of get back into the rhythm of being able to block out the media and just focus, focus on the game itself? That's a good question. I think it's a lot. Football's a very performance-based industry. So yeah, you're not playing well. Media are on your back. People are on your back, um, and that's just part of it. Like, um, yeah, I know how to deal with that now, and um, taking me a while to to figure that out. But um, early days, like I'd kind of be governed by like my performance, the team's performance. Like if I'm sort of in a good bit of form or the team's playing well, like my mood was generally high. If not, like it'd be a bit lower. Like I'd have a worse week, like mentally, probably training wise as well. Like. Um, as bad as that sounds, like it shouldn't be like that. Like the result on Saturday or Sunday or Friday like, isn't necessarily um, your fault individually. Um, yeah, especially in big team sport. Like yeah, that, yeah, big team sport. Like, there's 18 people on the field. You can't play your absolute best every game. Um, and I kind of expected that at the start. Like, oh, they expect me to do this and this and this. And in reality, they, they really didn't. 
it was kind of all up in my head and I, I had to work through that and we um we've got a great club psychologist at the club that a lot of the boys lean on and um not necessarily because there's too much wrong in their lives like we, we live great lives we're very lucky um to do what we do but um the territory we I guess perform in is very hostile and we're put under extreme amounts of pressure that your everyday 18 year old isn't under um, and that can be hard sometimes all right yeah and what about the um i think there's two aspects that i've always been really interested in and you know aspects that i've kind of idolized looking at professional sports and that's the um the fame that comes with getting drafted as well as the the financial side of getting drafted. because you go from an 18 year old kid where you know most most kids the media they're not in the media's eye and after school they get into uni or trade and it's a few years before they start making money and yep. definitely not big money at mm. that as no one pick you know you were kind of thrust into a position uh, like a solid position financially as well as a media mm-hmm. what was the effect of that like that on your mental well-being uh initially it was excitement like yeah. wow, I'm, I'm getting paid to do what i love to do this yeah. is amazing um and then you, you soon realize like that part of it's outstanding like being yeah. able to do what you love to do and and sort of make a living off it however long a career lasts is something that still like, i have to pinch myself like i feel so lucky that my passion and my hobby um is like i guess seen as important among society and you get can get paid to do it which is not everyone has that opportunity but with that i guess like you said the, the media pressure and the, um spotlight's always on you um and that's something that's cool as well as like annoying at times i guess living in melbourne um you can't really escape but like people yeah. love footy in melbourne you walk down the street and sort of people recognize who you are you can't really um i guess do certain things that your friends can and fly under the radar like you always have to have in the back of your mind that if someone takes a photo of you at any time in your life they can send it to someone it absolutely i mean you can't paper. i guess you can't you know drink at the same rate that other people can or like because mm-hmm. you're you're under scrutiny for pretty much everything that you do. Yeah, you just have to be really careful. Yeah, and I I'm a reasonably responsible person. I'm not yeah. too worried about that. But yeah, um, it's all, yeah, it feels like you're constantly kind of being watched. Um, even though you forget about that at times, it's it's always in the back of your mind. It's kind of conditioned from a a very young age that you can't really mess up. Um, and you see when people do like, sure, like AFL players are always in the media for doing things that yeah other sort of mid-20 people would do every weekend um, yeah that's true yeah because of their occupation like it it gets put up in in lights but um it's just something that yeah that you have to adapt to. yeah do you believe that it's like fair that the media puts you in a spotlight for those kind of uh, like you know at, at that kind of stage because you know from a viewer's perspective i think a lot of people think that you have to be held to a high standard because you know there's fans that rely on you to mm-hmm. perform every week you know there's a you're actually getting paid for the profession and your physical like performance is very very crucial to the, the team so yeah I, I think in many ways it, it's probably fair yeah um, i think the, the only thing that bothers me sometimes is, is if um the media sort of goes out to find things like that like, yeah goes out of their way to to put people in situations that aren't necessarily um fair but again like we we like you said um there's a lot of people that look up to us and we have I guess a social responsibility to do the right thing um and i sort of see is there's there's a kid like me 15 years younger than me that is looking up to me right now um like i was doing as a young kid looking up to afl players and um i just want to set the best possible example for them and um although it's 
probably not fair all the time that the media is sort of guiding you the right way to act yeah. and behave. Um, it keeps you very accountable and, and you know that your actions actually mean something to some people. And um, But on the flip side of that, like, the media can be great for you. Like, yeah. if you use it the right way and can, um, I guess, present your story to the people and inspire people in certain ways, like, it can be a great tool and you can use your platform to do many great things. But um, it definitely has its positives and negatives. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, now you're kind of progressing into, and even at the start, I guess, of your career, kind of laid on as a leader of the of the team. And now I think you're progressing more and more into that role. Uh, do you find that it's often up to you to determine how players, like, react to, you know, certain whatever whatever's happening on the court off the court yeah i think so yeah um, ever since i sort of arrived at the club i sort of had leadership roles at school and yeah kind of got into the club and i was right back at the bottom of the pecking yeah. order again um which was nice and um you work your way back up but uh like i kind of i enjoy impacting people in a good way and i enjoy helping people um i, I feel like now I, I have a lot more of an influence on the playing group than than i used to have and i can certain things I say and certain behaviours that that I do can impact people in great ways and, and people can sort of jump on my back and follow me through certain things. Um, and it's, yeah, it's nice to know you have that impact and that pull on people and um, sort of feel responsible to, along with our other leaders, to sort of bring Essendon back up and um, create something that's sustainable and successful. So it, it's, it comes with responsibility, obviously, like you you feel a little bit of added pressure um, knowing that certain players are looking at you and to see what you're doing in times of stress and in the middle of a game where you're down by X amount. Say for example, I'm not playing well, but people still look like, what's, what's Andy going to do, for example? Like, what's Dyson going to do? Like, what are our leaders going to do? Um, and something that kind of comes naturally to me, but it's in the back of your head. Like, if I'm feeling like this right now, Ned, my housemate who's 18 out there, is going to be feeling a hell of a lot worse. So if, if I can control my emotions well enough and inspire him to do a little bit more and then Braden Ham, who's 20, to do a little bit more and um, the guy next to me to do a little bit more, it's really, really powerful. Absolutely. And I think, you know, like as you progress more and more into that role, you start to realise like now that I'm a leader, I have a social responsibility as well that comes alongside my responsibility to the club. And I think, you know, especially when you're playing for a team like, uh, that hasn't performed as well as it used to in the past, but has a very strong fan base. Mm-hmm. That there is a lot of pressure for you to perform, um, you know, perform well. So, what's the kind of psychological process you go through when you lose it, when you lose a game, or when you don't make it to the the finals? Like, it's it's hard. Like, yeah, oh, we've spoken about it a bit before. Like, our industry is a performance based industry, and if you're not winning, you're not up there in the ladder. Like, people are going to be disappointed. People are going to be angry. Um, you, you see it when you walk off the field after a bad loss. Like there's people yelling all sorts of things at you. Yeah. Um, I won't repeat on camera because they're not pleasant. But um, yeah. it's it's eye opening and um, it hurts us just as much as it hurts the fans. Does it impact? Yeah, exactly. So you- like, I guess we're probably a little bit better at moving past it than yeah. fans and media and um, people like that because we get to come into work on Monday and work on the things that didn't work and give it another go on the weekend. But um, we lost quite a few games in a row this year, and, and things build up. Like, there's tension amongst the playing group. There's ten- tension amongst the whole footy club. Um, fans are at us. And, again, if you don't, um, I guess this year was even more difficult. We were in a hub, and you couldn't escape football. 
Absolutely. But if you don't have that mental escape or you don't have something outside of football, like you can constantly be thinking about that and that can drive you crazy. Absolutely. Right? And I mean, I think, especially when there's moments, um, like for young players, especially when you get like a set shot, right? Mm. Uh, you know, the, the, everyone, if, if you're playing at the MCJ, for example, everyone's looking at you just dead on. Like it, you've got to make it, right? Yeah. People on the TV are watching. And, you know, sometimes you miss. That, mm. That's just part of the game. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes you miss in crucial moments in games that actually determine you're standing in the ladder, whether yeah. you're going to make it to the prelims, whether you're going to make it to granny. How does that, like, how has that affected um, you and have you, have you seen that affect other people? In the- yeah, it's, it's a real part of our game. Yeah. Like, there's, honestly, there's some people out there that, even in my first year, like, I had games where I'd be, not rattled, but so, like, sort of, my mind's just racing that I actually wouldn't want the ball at certain times. Be like, I don't want to stuff this up. Yeah. Um, and, it's hard to like admit that like no one wants to admit that yeah um but it's like a reality for a lot of players yeah um and like in big moments there'll be players that want the ball and there'll yeah. be other players that are hoping the ball doesn't come anywhere near them. yeah um and like i've moved well and truly away from that since yeah. my first year and grown a lot like now i couldn't think of anything better than having the ball in my hands like, I yeah want it. um i know i've done the work i've put in all the hours to be this and i, I want that moment yeah but it's like funny coming full circle from almost of a baby at 18 um into like a young man at 22 and the 18 year old version of me didn't want this chance or didn't want to be put under this pressure but now i do yeah but i think it's something that people wrestle with all the time there'll be 30 year olds out on grand final day that don't want the ball to come near them. yeah I'm, i guarantee you like, yeah that goes through people's heads and it's not for the whole game but yeah. there's moments in a game where people are like so tired i can't think of anything worse than the ball coming to me right now like, yeah i don't want to stuff anything up um, yeah and it's a hard mindset to get out of sometimes. Absolutely. And, you know, like you see it, like players take the emotional impact from missing a set shot. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, like, you know, they just they just don't feel the same or look the same throughout the game. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's um, definitely something you start to see. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. We, we learn, like I've learned to sort of, I have like an anchor. So it's like how I bring myself back to my ideal mindset in a game, um, regardless of what happens. So basically... Good thing happens, bad thing happens. I'll use this like certain keyword to get myself back and think, you know what, like, yeah, it happens. It happens. Like, yeah. I'm going to stuff up probably 100 more of them in my career. Yeah. Um, this is just one of those. Um, yeah. Can't change it. Can't do anything about it. Um, let's just nail the next one. And if I stuff that one up, so be it. Like, let's just go again. Just Absolutely. push it to the side, go again. You can't change anything that's happened in the past. So. Absolutely. Really good mentality to have. I think that um, it's like hard to maintain that. That, that sense of differentiation between I am this person individually and now I am and I'm this like mm-hmm. person career wise because like for a lot of people I think when the media you know uh, is the media is always on you and the spotlight's on you yeah. um you start to define your sense of purpose for what you do yeah. in a career I think mm-hmm. you know regardless of whether you're a footballer or whether you're a, you're a businessman I think something I noticed even my dad like he defined himself his self worth purely through his career like mm-hmm. um and he has done that throughout his life. And that's actually resulted in a lot of mental health issues mm-hmm. uh, because when he was younger, you know, he was in the Merchant Navy for a few years, then came back and decided, and, you know, his, at that point, earning good money was fantastic. It gave him a sense of, um, like, you know, accomplishment with himself. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, starting, him starting a business in India and failing, you know, year on year and year, having a child and not really knowing where your career is going, yep. um, it really started to affect his mental health. And... You know, luckily, he got to a position where 
he you know moved to Australia and succeeded financially. But regardless of like you know if that hadn't happened, I think that still would have been a I don't know if there would have been a sense of realization or comfort that he felt with himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think now when you look at COVID and so many businesses are failing, so many people are losing their jobs, yep. um, people aren't in the same position they work career wise, their sense of accomplishment, especially for a man, starts to get mm-hmm. um, impacted. Yep. So it's interesting, like, you know, at a young age that you have this separation between that, but do you feel like that's a common mentality within the AFL or? or? I don't think so. Yeah. Um, and I've only kind of come to this like recently. Yeah. Um, and it's hard like it's it's not easy because you care so much about what you do and a lot of the conversations you have with people are about what you do and that's the same in any workplace like you talk about your job you talk about your passion um and whether you're a businessman whether you're a professional poker player whether you're a football like it's all the same like um your job defines you in a certain way um but doesn't define you entirely is how i look at it and the more things you have sort of not the more things but the importance of having things outside of what you do, especially in a job like mine, um, can make your performance and the way you act at work so much better. And what are those things for you that you use? Like, so I use uni. I'm, I'm yeah. at university. Um, I use my friends, my family. Um, yeah. They're probably my main three. Like I'll um, lean, on, lean on them. With, with friends, like I love golfing, so I'll yeah. try and get out in golf as much as I can um, in and around other scheduling things. but. Um, I just find like having interests and hobbies outside of what I do and conversations that aren't about football um, are so beneficial and you you can grow so much as a person outside of what you do. And I think knowing that is comforting when shit does hit the fan. Sorry, swearing. Um, yeah, no, totally fine, dude. Yeah. <laughs> when, when shit hits the fan, like I'll have a horrible game, we'll lose by 100 points maybe and um, or – We'll, we'll get smashed, I'll play well, I'll still be like filthy that we lost. Yeah. Um, and if you don't have anything outside of what you do, like if you think football's me and I just let myself down, like I'm so mad, if you sit and stew in that, um, you can just have a horrible week until you play again and then hope that it goes better, but there's no guarantee. Absolutely. But with like the sort of things that I've set up, like I know my family like loves me regardless of whether – I touch the ball zero times in a game or I'm best on the field. Like, I know I have that backing. I know my mates are the same. Um, they still see me as Andy. Like, I'm Absolutely. Um, and knowing that and being aware of that is huge for me. People about your emotions was much more and more socially acceptable, especially now that, like, you know, when I went to long grammar school, I think the prevalence of girls made it easier for people to talk about their um, yeah. emotional issues. I think people weren't as, like, reality as they were at Brighton Grammar School, yeah. and that made things easier. Um, and, you know, by the time we got to year 12, in a boys' boarding house, we were actually, like, the kind of guys that sometimes would just, like, lean on each other and mm. talk about those issues, but it still wasn't normalised. Um, now I think, you know, when, I got, when we got to college, we realised that, yeah, like, we're going through so many of these issues. Mm. You know, we started to talk about guys just to really, like, open up to each other. Like, we were playing FIFA, and, so, and our mate, I remember, like, just playing FIFA and one guy would be like, yeah, look, I just feel like I'm falling behind and you know, ending up in tears because, like, the, the amount of pressure that's on him. And I was like, man, look, I, I just respect it. Like, there's, there's nothing. I don't look at you as a less no. man in any, any way whatsoever. And I don't realise what, at that time, 
like you know when we were younger made people look at um look at counseling even with the stigma like i remember brighton grammar school i went to go see this counselor when i was 14 because i was struggling with you know um some like levels of depression trauma etc and a lot of people in my year level uh just used to make fun of the aspect that i used to go to the psychologist mm-hmm. right and i used to feel nervous I used to, like, hide it that I was going to the psychologist. Yeah. Like, I, I wouldn't, when, when I was going to the psychologist, I wouldn't be open to them going to the psychologist. I'd make a big excuse, like, oh, yeah, no, I've got, like, mm. training for this thing yeah. outside. You know, like, something manly, you know, yeah, yeah. To, um, to do that. And it's interesting that over time and with age, we've kind of come to realise that. But if you were to kind of, like, you know, tell people at a younger age that do have that kind of stigma around it, how would you go about, you know, like, erasing that stigma? Like from in, in their mental, it's it's really hard. Yeah, um, and when you're in it, it's very difficult to see it. Yeah, like, um, I think just it's it, it, when you're in it, it's very hard to change. But as like I, I'm older now, I I'm more mature than I was in high school. Um, just sort of spreading that message that it's okay, and like doing things like this, talking about your emotions. Um, yeah, is something that that can help slightly change that. Yeah, I'm not going to change the world. Like we can try as much as we want, but yeah, I can only sort of impact certain people. But well, I'm sure this is going to make an impact as well. I mean, people looking at home can see that you know a footy player, number one draft pick, rising star, going through all like you know, despite all of your accomplishments, you still feel sometimes nervous. On, yeah, on the court, like you know, sometimes you feel like shit mm-hmm. after losing a game, and sometimes yeah. players around you like feel mm-hmm. the same way. So like all the same emotions, a lot of kids out there playing their first football game or yeah but I, I just think educating as many people as i can about being okay with emotion and okay with talking to people and letting people know that like i'm there for them if they need it like, yeah um like always there for your mates and just knowing that you can that just try and build relationship with people that you can talk about anything with them and be okay with that and not judge people for that 